Today I'm reading and preaching from Psalm 63. I mentioned this will be our Psalm of the Month for the month of January. Psalm 63, listen as I read God's Word. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Today is the first day of a new year. Many people look forward to the change and uh, uh, oftentimes make New Year's resolutions. Sometimes we, we laugh at those because they seem to be so short-lived. They last maybe only a couple of weeks or maybe only a couple of days. But uh, making resolutions is not a bad thing. There is something good and proper about making resolutions. In fact, uh, there are many throughout the history that have done this, and one notable example is the New England Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards. You can look up his resolutions that he made throughout his life. He made 70 resolutions during his lifetime that he would regularly read to remind himself of things that expressed his convictions, things that were important to him. So he made resolutions about them. So in keeping with the concept of resolutions, I'm going to frame my sermon today, on, on, my sermon on Psalm 63, on this area or this concept of resolves or resolutions that we make in this coming year. But before I get to that, let me remind you that resolutions must come from faith. By grace you are saved, through faith, that not of works, it is the gift of God. Obedience and resolutions have to rise out of faith. Otherwise, you will hear this sermon and think that that I'm uh, kind of coming behind you with the whip of resolutions to make you be good, so that you would be good in God's eyes. But instead, uh, David sets it very differently. He sets it in the context of faith, and out of faith, then he resolves to seek the Lord with his whole heart. I'm going to give you three resolutions, then, that come from this psalm. 
The first is resolved to seek the Lord earnestly by faithfully gathering for worship. Resolved to seek the Lord earnestly by faithfully gathering for worship. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I want to remind you that the title of the psalm says that David wrote this while he was in the wilderness of Judah. And that means that he was far from the tabernacle, far from the sanctuary of God. And not only was he far away from where the people gathered to worship, but he was actually being chased by King Saul at this point. The king of Israel was hunting for him to kill him. So he was far away from the normal means of grace, and his life was in danger day by day. You might even remember from my sermons on 1 Samuel that there were times that he barely escaped with his life. This is the trouble that he is in. And in the midst of that trouble, David, uh, David speaks by faith of the things that are most important to him. And the most important thing that he speaks of to begin with is that God is his God. He resolves to earnestly and faithfully to seek God, and especially to do that by gathering for worship. And so he remembers the sweet fellowship that he had enjoyed previously, how he'd been able to go into God's sanctuary, as verse 2 says. And now David's worship is, is different than our worship today, but we might say it in this way, that David was longing to go to church. He was longing to have fellowship with God. Again, David's experience of church is different than ours, but the essence of it is, is exactly the same. What David longed to, be, longed to do was to go and to meet with God. That's what worship is about. Now, we can become distracted by a number of different things. Church can come to mean a a time to see your friends, or to go to see and be seen. Or you may even be distracted by the fact that, that in this life there are broken relationships, and so it's hard to to go and to see someone that has offended you, or there's an awkwardness and you try to avoid that individual. That's not what church is about. Church is about meeting with God. And our focus is on that vertical view. Now, there is that horizontal aspect of the blessings of knowing that we are with brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, as your eyes are focused on that vertical, it will ease the tensions. It will ease the the aspects of the distractions that you see there because you're, you're here to worship God. That is the ultimate thing in all of our lives, is to know God and to be known by him. And God has 
given us this time to meet with him. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is something that your heart should long for and desire week in and week out. And how much did David want this? He says, early will I seek for you. It's not something that he will put off until later in the day when it's convenient for him. It makes this a priority. I will, I will seek for you. It's, it's a first priority for me. You can sense that resolution of David's to, to come into God's presence. He says, my soul thirsts for you. Thirsts as if I'm in a land where there is no water. I wonder if you've ever been so thirsty, you can't wait until you get that next glass of water. There is uh, there's something that, that drives you. People die from thirst. But when you are without water and you're thirsty, you become parched and dry and you long for that next drink of water. And that's set over and opposed to something that that is, is either optional or maybe distasteful to you. Kids, do your, does your mom sometimes give you a vegetable that you don't like? And they tell you to eat it? And they tell you, you, you have to sit there until you eat it? You may even plug your nose and pop a bite in your mouth and gulp down some water to try to swallow that vegetable. Is that how you come to church? As if this is something distasteful to you. Pray that the Lord would, would, would fan into flames your longing to meet with him so that it's not distasteful, that you look forward to coming to church each and every week. So David says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I'll say again, this is what worship is about. This is what church is about, to see God's power and glory. You come here because it it is here that the gospel is proclaimed. It's here where you hear that Jesus has won a victory over sin and Satan and death, and he has set you free from all of that. You come here because God renews his covenant with you. He has promised that you would be his people, and he will be your God, that he will wipe away the guilt of your sin. And we hear that, and and we rejoice in that, each and every Lord's day when we come into worship. We come to renew our covenant to belong to the Lord. We come to to say to the Lord, Oh God, you are my God. And I know that you have given Christ for me. You're worthy of praise because of that, because I, I don't deserve that. But you have set me free from every guilt. And the shame that has dogged me 
all of this week, I come to church to hear the Lord say, I love you and forgive your sins by Christ's blood. Don't you want that? Remember that David does this in the midst of the wilderness. In the midst of his trouble, David intentionally stirs up his faith to look to God. That's instructive to us, isn't it? There's a resolve that helps us to meet the shame, the guilt, the trouble, the tiredness, the weariness, the dysfunction, the the distress, the brokenness in your home. You come here because you're at peace with God. I pray that these words would stir you up as well, that there would be resolve that God stirs up in you, that by faith that you would recognize how Almighty God himself invites you to meet with him in worship. He's made a way through Christ so that you can do that. He's given of his spirit so that so that you are drawn into his presence. And I do pray that it would be part of your resolution of faith, that God, I want that. I want to meet with you. And there's a very specific application in that as well, resolve to seek the Lord earnestly. I I long to know God, to be known by him. And how? Well, in these two verses, by faithfully gathering to worship. Faithfully gathering each week in God's presence. Second, resolved to praise God in all circumstances by meditating on his loving kindness. This comes in verses 3 through 6. Listen to those verses again. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I will meditate on you in the night watches. These verses express God's goodness and his blessings. But wait, you might say, wasn't David in the wilderness? Wasn't he being hunted like an animal? How in the world could he think about God's goodness when his circumstances argued so strongly against God's goodness? Well, here I have to say that David's words penetrate deeply in in my own heart. There is a resolution that David expresses that, uh, that is a resolution to focus on God and to praise him. And, and that resolution then shapes his understanding of, of his circumstances. And I say that because if you approach it the other way round, 
it can become very discouraging. The opposite is to let your circumstances inform you of your relationship with God. And with, when you do that, the trouble that you face will begin to shade and color the way you look at your world, your life, and your God. This is where I say this is penetrating for me. In my trouble, I have longed for peace and quiet. Wanted relief from pain, to be delivered from anxiety, or just to rest because I'm so tired. Longed for the wrong things. Don't get me wrong, those are very real emotions and very real struggles that each and every one of us go through. David doesn't minimize those troubles. He will come to his enemies, but not yet. He'll come to those struggles, and and there are other psalms that, that dive right into those. So David doesn't minimize those troubles, but he puts them in their proper place. See, God is of first importance in his life. God is our first love. And that doesn't change just because you're in the wilderness. Do you hear me? God is of first importance, and that never changes. It doesn't change whether you're on the mountaintop of a of a spiritually rich experience, or whether you're down in the valley of the wilderness being hunted like an animal. God is of first importance. Even in the wilderness, David can say this, your loving kindness is better than life. So I will praise you I will bless you. I'll lift up my hands to your name and worship. To know God and his love is better than life. He leads us to praise him, to bless him, to worship him. David goes on to say that his soul is even satisfied with God. Again, hear this in the context of the wilderness that he was in. His soul is satisfied with God, and he compares it to to a feast, eating the best food until you're full. David uses words that would be understandable in his day, that he's satisfied with marrow and fatness. Now, we we cringe when we hear that today, like, make sure you trim off all of the fat. You want the lean meat, and no way do you want the want to marrow and fatness. But in David's day, this was the best. It was the flavor. It was, it was a sense of God's bounty that was being described here. So when David talks about the marrow and the fatness, it's a, it's a rich feast that he has found in God's presence. Is it any wonder that he says, I'm satisfied with God? This is the best I've ever tasted in the wilderness. 
And he resolves to be satisfied with this. And when you're satisfied with the best, the circumstances that are bitter and hard and painful, they pale in comparison when you're satisfied with God. So how does David practice his satisfaction? By meditating on that loving kindness. By praising him for it. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Here I want you to see again how David is, is, is using his faith. He's stirring up his faith in the wilderness. He is, uh, is, is stirring up his is believing through the spiritual discipline of praising God. And even in the darkness of night, even under the oppression of trouble, David remembers God. He even mentions being on his bed at night and meditating on the Lord in the night watches. I don't know about you, but uh, night times can be times for me of vulnerability or of restlessness, sometimes because of physical reasons, but more often because of mental or spiritual reasons. Events of the day or a trouble I'm facing make my mind spin. spin. My heart begins to beat faster. My breathing faster. I can hear and feel my blood pressure rising when I'm trying to go to sleep, of all things, that's because I'm consumed by this trouble. And so in the night, I follow David's counsel. Think of Jesus as I lie down to sleep. I meditate on him, on his loving kindness to me, his promises in the night watches. And I have found the Psalms, especially comforting, told this to a number of you, but I'll say it here publicly that I found the Psalms and especially the musical version of them to be especially helpful. And I don't say that just because I'm an RP. <laughs> I say it because they are so helpful. And the musical version of them has a staying power with me. Maybe you'll find that as well for yourself, that with the tune and the words going together, that they will be easy to bring to your mind to remember. So I take them up regularly. I take them up to do battle with my own sin, to remind me of God's grace and mercy, to express my repentance to remind me of God's promise to forgive in Christ, to occupy my mind with the things of God rather than the things that make me anxious. By faith, there is a certain resolve that I'm exercising and urge you to exercise as well. To resolve, to praise God in all circumstances by meditating on his loving kindness. Thirdly, resolve to base my expectations on God's promises 
by remembering his help in times past. Say that again. Resolved to base my expectations on God's promises by remembering his help in times past. This comes from verses 7 through 11. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. The mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. In these verses, David expresses certain expectations. And with those expectations, a certain resolution to base those expectations on God's help in the past. Since God has been my help, since he has been with me in the past, therefore, I will expect the Lord to do so in the future. I will look towards those promises that God has made and kept in the past, that he will keep in the future. And here David looks not just to the pressing problem of Saul hunting him down, he delves deeper into the spiritual danger that uh, all sinners face. And he finds in that promise of God that there is deliverance from all of our sins. And this is so important, especially as David thinks about how God had anointed him to be king. But here God has in view how God delivers us spiritually. And it comes through when David says, so I will take shelter in the shadow of God's wings. Now, to be clear, we know that God doesn't have literal wings, right? God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have wings or a strong arm or right hand. But this is poetry, remember? And poetry uses things that we understand to communicate a spiritual truth. What is the truth here? Well, the wings of a bird are used to shelter the baby chicks. But I think David has in mind here what was found in God's courts, in his tabernacle. Can you remember where there you might find wings in the tabernacle? They were on the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered with the mercy seat that were shadowed by the wings of the cherubim that overshadowed that mercy seat. And what happened at the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the priest of God would come once a year and offer the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat to prefigure the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the shelter that we find in Christ. And in the Old Testament, David grasped hold of that kind of shadowy, uh, earthly, tangible prefiguring of the spiritual promise of Jesus. 
There's shelter to be found at the mercy seat. There's forgiveness of sin by the blood of the Lamb. And we know that clearly because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has come. And by his blood, our sins are forgiven. And this makes sense because of David's emphasis on how he longed to be near God in worship. It also makes sense in the circumstance of trial. Because, again, if you are like me, trials and troubles in this life are a moment of, uh, of spiritual temptation. And I've come to think that this trouble is upon me because I deserve it because of my sin against God. Or maybe that the Lord has finally been fed up with me and he won't put up with this any longer. And it's in times of trouble that our assurance can be, tr- can be deeply sh- shaken. Guilt and self-recrimination rise higher and higher. So what should you do in those moments? Take shelter in the wings of God. Take shelter in the blood of the Lamb. Take shelter in Jesus. Which is why David would go on to say, My my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Beautiful imagery here. It it reminds me of of a child knowing where safety is and running towards that, staying close to to his or her mother's skirt because I'm safe there. And only now, in verses 9 and 10, does David bring up his enemies. Know well this isn't with a voice of revenge or vindictiveness. Rather, the, the melody of this song, the melody of waiting on the Lord, of longing after him, of holding fast to him, that theme dominates and and informs David how to look at the trouble of his enemies. And it leads him to base his expectations on what would happen in the future on God's promises and his deliverance in the past The Lord had promised that David would be king. And at this point, David must have been been scratching his head, saying, I have no idea how that will ever happen. My life is, is forfeit. This is not the path of a king. But God had promised, and God had delivered over and over again, so David would not despair. In fact, he would come to the point where he would spare Saul's life because of the faith in God's promises. Those who sought his life would not prevail. He didn't know how it would be, but God would do it. God would bring them down in his own time and in his own way. So David closes by saying, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. 
Here, as a prophet of God, David not only expected the Lord to prevail, but he also foretold it. He speaks of the fact that uh, there's nothing that Saul can do to change the fact that David would be king. Not just David. Because David knew his own frailty, and he was expecting the greater king, Jesus. It is promised all throughout Scripture. There is this anticipation of the anointed king, Jesus Christ, that would come to do victory against sin and Satan and death, to have victory over those things. And so, David is promising here the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who himself sought the Lord and came with his eyes, focused clearly on his Father and to do his will. Jesus, who is the embodiment of the loving kindness of God that we meditate on. Jesus, whose love for us is better than life. And it is this Jesus who based his expectations on his Father's faithfulness. And so he set his face towards Jerusalem and for the joy that was set before him. Did you hear that joy that was set before him? He went to the cross so that he could accomplish our salvation. My soul thirsts for God. By God's grace, pray that you would resolve to seek the Lord earnestly by faithfully gathering to worship. Resolve to praise God in all circumstances by meditating on his loving kindness. Resolve to base your expectations on God's promises by remembering his help in times past. Do not do this in our own strength. We do it because of God's faithfulness and love towards us, a love that is indeed better than life. Let's pray. Lord, you are my God. You are our God. Earnestly, we will seek for you. Lord, our resolutions tend to crumble and fall so easily and quickly. God, by faith, may these resolutions stand, not just today, but throughout the rest of our lives. Lord, your love for us is better than life. You are the most important relationship. May our focus on you then inform us in those circumstances that are so difficult in this life. May we, in the midst of the wilderness, stir up our faith by your Spirit. May we be stirred up to praise you, to love you, to worship you, to follow hard after you, for you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One way we can confess this is to sing it together, Psalm 63a. I invite you to please stand and sing.